verses that we've talked about this that we read already this morning and, and um, we'll focus on. They, they deal primarily with the testimony of God in relation to what in relation to who Jesus Christ is. And it's important that we, we get a hold of what, what uh, John is saying in the verses prior to this so that we can grasp why he um, places the attention on this, these testimonies in these uh, verses that we're looking at this morning. If you'll remember last week's sermon, we talked about the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, the Bible says that those who have been born of God will overcome the world. And, and sometimes that that theology, that theme of overcoming the world is something that we look at in, in, a, in a small, simple way. We think of, um, you know, the fact that we're going to go to heaven, we're, we're um, not going to suffer the torments of hell. We think of some really basic things, but we, we often miss the fact that when the scriptures promise us that we're going to overcome the world, um, the emphasis, if you go back to 1 John chapter number 2, is that the world consists of three things. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So when, when the promise is made in chapter number 5, in the, I think it's verse 4, that those who are born of God will overcome the world, the emphasis is we'll overcome those things in our life that are related to the lust of the flesh, which is the desire for things that we need, the, the body's desires and needs, the lust of the eyes, which are the things that we see and, and desire, and then the pride of life. And that's no small thing, because ultimately those things guide the world, don't they? The world lives for three things. They live for what they need physically, for what they desire, for what they see, and they live to be exalted. They live to be uh, seen as being significant and important. So when the scriptures tell us that those who have been born of God are going to overcome these three things, the emphasis is a very, very, it's a very, very serious promise, in a very, very significant promise. And, and we know that this is true. We know that being a Christian, you go back to the Gospels, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, right? You have to take up your cross, which is, which is a picture of, of death, and, you have to, and then you can follow me. The Christian life is not a, a selfish life. The Christian life is the antithesis of a selfish life. It is a selfless life. The, the Christian life is about not living for what we need, but it's about living for what other people need. It's about not serving self, but it's about serving God. It's about committing your life. It's about giving your life, um, sacrificing your desires, sacrificing your pleasures and your will for God's desires, for God's pleasure, and for God's will. This is no small thing. Most of us have the mindset that we can be Christians and still be controlled by the things of this world, which makes it, makes it seemingly insignificant. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number six that we cannot serve two masters. We will love one and we will, we will hate the other one. Very strong emotional terms that deal with the depths, the inner being of man. It's not just about we will do the right thing and not do the wrong thing, but we will desire to do the right thing, and we will hate the idea of doing the wrong thing. And we see this principle all throughout Scripture when men like David who fell into sin with Bathsheba, and we see in, in Psalm 51 this total heart of repentance and contrition before God. And he didn't see it as a small thing. He didn't see it as an insignificant thing. He hated it. He sinned against Almighty God. 
And so we, we need to understand that, that what God is calling us to, and not just calling us to in this text of Scripture, but, but ultimately he says this just simply identifies you. It's not really a calling to these things. It's, he's not calling us to overcome the world, right? What he is saying is, is if you're truly a Christian, you will overcome the world. It's an identification that you are a Christian, that you overcome the things of this world. You overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's a, a sign that you're a Christian. Now, some people look at a text like this and they think, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> we can't. Right? We can't. Christ has to do it through us. Christ has to do it in us. Um, <clears throat> if you look at Galatians 5, the Bible talks about the works of the flesh which are these, and it lists off a whole bunch of different sinful activities. And then it goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a difference between the works of the flesh, because they're things that we do, and the fruit of the Spirit are things that He does. He does through us the fruits of the Spirit. We do the works of the flesh. I've often said this, and I believe it to be true. The Christian life is not about making ourselves better. It's about dying to ourselves. It's about getting ourself out of the way so that Christ can be seen through us. There are a thousand religions out there, folks, that will tell you you've got to make yourself better to be accepted by God. The Scripture tells us if you want to be accepted by God, you have to die and be made alive in Christ. And, that's, and, that, and that, is, that is the essence of the gospel. Again, Christ doesn't call us to something insignificant. He calls us to something great. With that being said, what John does in these, in these seven verses or six verses that we just read, what John does is he does this. He gives us some evidence. He gives us a witness. The, the, the main term that's used here, it's used eight times in these seven verses. The main term is the word witness, that he is giving us a witness, okay? Think with me for a moment. If God has just called you to give up your life, if God has just called you that you are to commit your whole life to Jesus, that he is to become everything to you, do you guys think it would be important that he give some evidence to the fact that, that's, that Jesus Christ is actually the way? That Jesus Christ is actually capable? That Jesus Christ is actually significant? That's what he does in these verses. He says, yes, Yes, believers, those born again will overcome the world. And let me tell you this, those who are born again, he says, they're on the right path. That's what he talks about in, in, these, in these following verses. God the Father gives a, um, a witness to Jesus Christ being three things. And, and, and he says it in verse number one of chapter number five. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God he says it in verse number five, who is it that overcomes the world except for the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so he uses two different terms here, very purposeful. The Christ, the word Christ is simply a term. It comes from the Greek word Christos. It means Messiah, anointed one, one who has been chosen. Is Jesus, remember this, in relation to when Jesus Christ is teaching to the Jews, they have rejected him as being the the Messiah, they have rejected him as being the Christ, the deliverer. So when the Lord says those who believe that Jesus is the deliverer, 
Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. These have been born of God. He's, he's talking specifically in that realm, but we can apply it to our realm. Those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the deliverer, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who can bring salvation, okay? And, and not, yes, yes, eternal salvation, but the one who can bring, bring deliverance over the, over the world, the one who can bring deliverance over our struggles, our difficulties, our flesh. The one who can set us free is the one who has been anointed by God. You see, the Jews looked for the Messiah to come and to set them free from the bondage that was the Roman government. Jesus Christ's purpose was not to come to set us free from the bondage that was the Roman government, but to come and set us free from the bondage that is sin, right? So Jesus Christ came, the Messiah, the Deliverer. The Jews rejected him, but, but the Lord says anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is capable, that he is the one chosen to set us free from our sins and from our selfishness and from our pride and from our lust, those who believe that as a reality, these have been born of God. And he's going to give witness to that. He's going to give evidence to that. He says that he's the Christ, again, the anointed one. He says he's the son of God. Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God, he, he is authority with God. He is divine, has deity. He has power. He has the ability. He doesn't just make promises that we can overcome the world by having Christ, but he, as the son of God, God the son, is capable of giving us those, the ability to overcome Self, right? Um, Hebrews chapter number two talks about that the high priest that we have who, who um, went through, I, I can't think of the exact context, but the, the idea of it is, is he went through and was tested so that he could now help us. He's the son of God. Then he is eternal life. Jesus Christ does not just offer eternal life to those who believe, but Jesus Christ is eternal life to those who believe. He who has the Son has life. He is eternal life. When we, when we have eternal life, the emphasis is we have Jesus' life. He lives in us, and, that, and now that he lives in us, he gives us the victory over all things that are in opposition to him, because then he lives through us. John 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but forth to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Some people say that he has come that they might have abundant life. The issue is, is not that we would have abundant life in ourselves. The issue is, is that we would have his abundant life. His life in us is abundant life. Too many people in the, in, in the Christian realm or in the religious realm are looking for abundance for themselves and that they can get it by, by Christ. But they're not looking for the abundance of life in Christ. It's a, it's a whole different thing. It is having the life of Christ in you, his goals, his dreams, his visions, his hopes. It's about having Christ in you. And that's why Philippians says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
His mind dominating you. It is, it is Christ in us. Why is this important? It's important because all of the promises of Scripture point to Jesus Christ as being the only way for us to be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes a promise in John 14 that there is no other way to be saved lest you come in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Now, that's a pretty significant promise, isn't it? And a pretty significant um, statement. There is no other way except to come through Jesus Christ. John 3 and verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is serious stuff. If you do not have Jesus Christ living inside of you, you are currently under the wrath of God. And that the wrath of God will remain on you into eternity lest there is a point in time in your life that Jesus comes to live inside of your heart. And when Jesus comes to live inside of your heart, he, he takes you from being under the wrath of God and places you under the grace of God based upon the sufficiency of his sacrifice for your sins and the resurrection. And all I'm good now. There's none good but one, and it's the Lord. Amen. Now we see if we can get back into the flow here. The scriptures give us, so we have these promises this, that only through Jesus Christ there is salvation. Okay? Not just, not just eternal salvation, but folks, this is this is day, this is salvation for today. You can win today. You can win yesterday. How? It's through Jesus Christ. There's victory in every situation, in every relationship, in every scenario, in every bank account, in every, in every situation of life. There is victory to be found in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to fill your bank account up, and it doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is going to take away your problematic person, but what it does mean is he's going to give you a heart that is right towards those things. That's the difference. God doesn't change our circumstances all the time. He changes, he changes us. And that's what matters, isn't it? The Bible says on several occasions that there's the two or three witnesses in order for an issue to be established 
2 Corinthians 13.1 says, Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And Matthew 18.16 says the same. And then 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you have been called and about which you made this confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what we have in these following verses is we have God in heaven giving us a witness, giving us evidence to the fact that Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the truth and Jesus Christ is the life. And look, folks, listen, when, when we get to a place that we can embrace those things, that we really truly believe in those things, it will not be difficult to, to serve and to live your life for Jesus. Most of us live on the brink of serving and living our life for Jesus and serving and living our life for the world because we're just not sure if it's worth giving. What if it fails? What if I go through my life and I go through my life serving Jesus and he doesn't get me what I want? Until we come to that place that we truly believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish, we will not commit our lives sacrificially to the work of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a moment. How many things do we do in our daily lives to protect ourselves from some type of persecution because we're just really not sure if Jesus is capable? You think about when Peter walked on the water, you know, the other 11 disciples sat there in the boat. And they're like, you know what, we'll, we'll play this thing safe, right? But Peter wasn't a play it safe kind of guy. I like Peter in some ways and in other ways, not so much. But Peter wasn't in the boat, and, pre- and Peter preached Pentecost, didn't he? You know what? Peter was so committed to Christ in so many fa- failure, so many fallen ways, so many weak ways, but he was 100% for the Lord. So let's look at some of these witnesses real quick. First of all, First of all, what is a witness? Again, the term is used eight times in this context. The, the Greek word is martus, and it's an interesting word because it's, it, it carries with it the idea of somebody who carries a witness, somebody who, who carries a message. They've, they've witnessed something, they've seen something happen, and they're confident that it is true and accurate that they're carrying a witness, they're going to bear witness to it. It's actually a, a legal term, carries the idea of somebody sitting on the witness stand and the and the prosecution or the defense attorney is, is, is questioning them about the situation to see whether or not it is true. Somebody who has studied something out, who has proven something, and now is going to bear witness to it. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, you're familiar with the verse, and it says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? So we're witnesses. The same idea, we carry a message. And that message is the message of Jesus Christ. The, the word also translates into our English language, martyr. We actually get our English word martyr from this Greek word, martus. And so it, it's not just the carrying of a message 
but it's the message that you have that is so significant and so important that you're willing to give your life up for that message. That message is so significant that you're willing to sell out for that message. That's the gospel, amen? That we're willing to sell out, we're willing to be martyrs like the 12 disciples were. We're willing to give up our life because we believe so strongly that this message is super important. And, it's, and, the, and, the, and the object of the message is really capable, right? Jesus says in Hebrews 11, talks about how that he is not ashamed to be called their God because he hath made a place for them. And that's a total paraphrase, right? The idea of it is this, is when you get through life and you, and you have given your life and you've poured yourself out for Jesus, Jesus is not going to be ashamed of the fact that you have poured out your life for him because the place that you're going to go is going to be so amazing. He has made an extraordinary reward for you. The, the picture is this. Sell your life out for me and I have nothing to offer you and I'll be ashamed at the end. Or sell your life out for me and you will inherit extraordinary things and I will not be ashamed that you sold your life out for me. You see, selling out for Jesus Christ is going to be extraordinarily worth it, right? It hurts today. There's pain, there's suffering, there's sanctification that we go through daily in our lives. But in the end, is it not going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth it to stand before God one day and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Is that going to be worth it? Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is what a witness is. This is what God the Father is witnessing here. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may, that you may, prove, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We may prove what is right. So that's what a witness is. Number two, who are the witnesses? In the text of Scripture here, there are two sets of three witnesses, okay? It's very important that we understand this because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, an issue is established. So in this text, there are two sets of three witnesses. Your version of the Bible might not include one of those sets. I'm going to include those this morning. I'm going to stand where John Calvin stands in regards to verse number seven, which says in other versions, other than the ESV, it says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to hold, a, John Calvin said this, there's enough controversy over that portion of scripture, good and bad, that I'm going to include it, knowing this, that it does not detract from the truths of scripture. So we're leaving it there this morning. We're going to say that verse 7 says, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And then there are three that bear record on the earth. The Bible says the water, the blood, and the Spirit. So we're going to look at those just for a moment. <clears throat> These um, witnesses, if you will, to the fact that Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the deliverer. He is the Messiah. He is capable. He is the Son of God. And he is, in himself, eternal life. Jesus Christ bears, or God the Father, first of all, bears witness, witness to this. 
First of all, know this about God the Father. Titus 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Know this. God, if God bears witness of something, it is true. Because God cannot lie. It is completely against his nature. So anytime God bears witness of something, we know that it is accurate and it is true. Matthew 1 and verse 21, the angel comes to Mary and says, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 3, at the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Father, a voice comes from heaven and says, uh, um, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, a voice comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And all throughout the book of John, we have evidences and we have proofs and we have witnesses that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that Jesus Christ is the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is these things. God the Son also, Jesus Christ himself, bears witness himself to being the Messiah, the Son of God. His resurrection was evidence to all of those who saw it that he was the Son of God. 500 people plus the disciples all saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead or saw him after his death, proving that he was the Son of God. Jesus Christ says in Acts 1 in verse 11, Ye men of Galilee, they're, they're watching him as he's resurrecting up into heaven. And Jesus says to them, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taking up into heaven from you, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. You're familiar with John chapter number 14. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ gives us, gives us a witness of himself that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, eternal life. And then God, the Holy Spirit, the third witness in heaven, gives us witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. In John 15, 26 and 27, the Bible says, when the helper comes or the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three witnesses up in heaven. Neither, none of them can lie and tell er, anything in error, and they all witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Deliverer, the Savior from sin. But not only that, the Bible tells us that there are witnesses, three witnesses on the earth as well, earthly witnesses. He says that those witnesses are, number one, the water, number two, the blood, and number three, the Spirit. And I want to look at those and just break those down for you for a moment. The water can refer to two things. The witnesses of the water can refer to two things. If you go back to John chapter number 3, the Bible talks about being born of water and being born of the Spirit. 
The essence of that is, is that, that when man is saved, they were born of water the first time out of their mother's womb, and they've been born a second time by the Spirit of God. So it's possible that what John is referring to here is that Jesus Christ's birth is a witness to the fact that he is the Messiah. Now we know that we can go back into the Old Testament prophecies and find innumerable amount of prophecies that point specifically. I don't even know what the numbers are, but I've read before that the statistics that affirm that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament would come to save his people from their sins. The statistics of him being the one are astronomical. In in other words, that all of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person, and that's exactly what happens. Where he's born, who his parents are, what his name's going to be. You, You can go on and on and on, what tribe he was from, and what you find is all of these things being fulfilled in one person, and that was Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 7 that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. We see that exact, we see that exact statement in the, book, in the Gospels, in Matthew. We see that exact statement being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin gives us evidence to the fact that he was perfect. He did not have a sin nature which enabled him to bear our sins in his own body. Jesus Christ's birth is evidence that he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He is the son of God and he is eternal life. Not only was his birth in relation to water, but it's possible that it means his baptism. We know that at his baptism, he began his ministry. His earthly ministry started at his baptism. He goes to be baptized of John the Baptist, and his baptism begins his earthly ministry. We know that the Father comes, speaks from heaven and says at the moment of his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ begins the process of bringing deliverance. Matthew chapter number three, the Bible says that Jesus said, Jesus said to John the Baptist, allow me to be baptized so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Now, the reason why Jesus needed to fulfill all righteousness was not for his own sake, but, his own, but it was for our sake. Jesus Christ fulfilled everything necessary for our salvation. He fulfilled the law Every jot and every tittle of the law, he fulfilled it completely. And he fulfilled it completely for our benefit and for our blessing. You see, that's how we become righteous, Romans 5. We don't become righteous by doing righteousness. We become righteous by being gifted righteousness. I'm righteous today not because I am perfect. I'm righteous today because I am indwelt by perfection. That God's Holy Son, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That's what makes me righteous. And that's what makes me want to do righteousness as well. Never get this idea that somebody who is a Christian is going to want to do whatever they want to do, live sinful lives. That's, 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 that's the opposite of the truth. When somebody is truly a believer, they're not going to say, I can do whatever I want. But when somebody is truly a believer, they're going to say, I want to do what is right. Jesus' baptism begins his ministry. It was at at that point that he began to bring deliverance to mankind. He fulfilled what God had sent him to do in requirements of all the law for his whole life, perfection. Hebrews 4 tells us that in other passages as well. 
He never sinned one time for our benefit and our blessing. His baptism and then his crucifixion. Isaiah 53, we see, the, we see it all laid out that he bore our iniquities, that he, we, he had our sins on his shoulders. That, that was all, all of those things were not his, but they were ours. And we see that fulfilled in the Gospels. We see that fulfilled in Hebrews. We see that fulfilled all throughout scriptures that he was not sinful himself, yet he bore our sins on his own shoulders. He paid the price for your sins and my sins. He eternally satisfied the wrath of God on the behalf of all those who believe and trust in him. He eternally satisfied God's wrath towards me. God will never be angry with me again, not because I'm not a failure, but because Jesus Christ is not a failure. And that when God sees me, God sees me in Christ. And God sees Christ in me, and therefore God accepts me as perfect because I am perfect in Christ. You see, that's the issue is that we need to have Christ this morning in our hearts. We don't need to become better. We need to have Jesus. And when we have Jesus, he will make us better. You know what's interesting? When we have Jesus and he makes us better, we don't even notice it. So much of our Christian life is on noticing how good we are. But when Christ makes us righteous, we don't even notice that he makes us righteous. You go to Matthew 25 in the parable of the... Um, the parable of when he was naked and they fed him and he was, when he was hungry and they gave him food. And, and here's what the disciples said to him. When did we do that, Lord? They didn't even know. They were not focused on how great they were. What they understood is this. If anything good comes out of us, it's from, it's from him. See, that's the humility of the Christian life. There's a lot of religious people out there that think great things about themselves. But the Christian life causes us to do great things and not to think about what we've done but to think about what he's done. Scripture says at the end of the day, after we've, done, after we've done all that the Lord commands of us, get this, after we've done all that the Lord requires of us, we are still unprofitable servants. It just points to our humility, who we are without Christ, what we can accomplish. John 15, without me, you can do Nothing. And we know it's true, but it's so easy to do something great and to think great of ourselves, isn't it? That's where we need to overcome the pride of life. Jesus' crucifixion, he bore on himself our sins, our, our everything about us, our, our sinful nature, our, the original sins that Adam passed down to us, and the sins that we commit today and will commit in the future. Jesus Christ bore all of those sins on himself, and he satisfied God's, satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. That's what the Bible says about his blood, is a reflection of his being the Messiah. He had no reason to die unless he was the Messiah. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance 
which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we have, we have two witnesses so far, the water and the blood. The third witness that we have, the third witness that we have that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. The third earthly witness that we have that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Bible says it is the Spirit. And here's what I wrote. And if you're taking notes, this is a good point to focus on. The third witness to our to Jesus Christ being the Messiah is the transformation that his spirit has accomplished in your life. It is the change. It is the deliverance. It is the salvation that every Christian has experienced. And we all have a testimony of what Jesus Christ delivered us from. Amen? We all have that testimony. And listen, the more that testimony lives out of us, it is a witness that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. Do you know what it says when professing Christians live in bondage to sin every day? Do you know what it says? Does anybody have a guess? It says that Jesus isn't enough. Or Jesus isn't who he says he is. You see, the deliverance that we experience, the change and the transformation that God has in your life is a witness to those around you that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. Which means what? It means deliver. It means anointed one, chosen one. God said he was going to send the Jewish people a deliverer, right? The change that we experience in our life is a witness that Jesus Christ is the deliverer. It's so amazing. If you read Romans 11, the Bible says that, that God brought salvation to a Gentile world to make the Jewish people um, jealous. That's what he says. So the transformation that you experience in your life by the power of the deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is meant in some way to bring the Jews back to God. As God pours out his blessing on us, as God changes and transforms us, as, as we reveal through our life that we are God's children, it is a way in which other people say, maybe Jesus was the Messiah. And, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, the, same, the opposite is actually true. The less we experience the transformation of God, the less impact Jesus Christ is going to have on the lives of other people. You guys are familiar with this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans chapter number 6 says this when it asks the question, because grace abounds where sin is, should we continue in sin? And Paul answers him and says, Sir, may it never be, may it not even enter into your thinking because you have died to sin. And then he says in verse number 11, therefore reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. That's what we you know what we need in our, in our churches, in our homes, in our lives. We need to reckon ourselves. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Think about this. Abraham, when God got a hold of him, Abram, when God got a hold of him, became Abraham. Jacob, when God got a hold of him, became Israel. Saul, when God got a hold of him, became Paul. 
Cephas, when God got a hold of him, became Peter. The question is, what have we become when God got a hold of us? The last thought this morning is, what should be our response? Here's what he says in our text. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Very quickly, three things. How should we respond to these witnesses that, that, that clearly, listen, I don't know if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I still struggle with whether Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the deliverer. Uh, we, can go, we can go more and more into this. There's, the Bible is full of evidence. The prophecies of the Old Testament, the miracles, there are so much that, that satisfies the, um, the questions about whether Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I hope that we've been able to see some of that this morning to, to realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, what do we do with that? Okay, we believe he's the Messiah. We believe he's the deliverer. He's the son of God. He's the deliverer of the world from their sin. We believe that. Now what do we do that? Now what do we do with that? The answer is threefold. Number one, receive him. The Bible says in uh, John 1, verse 12 and 13, for as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. The idea of receiving here is the idea of, 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 a, of, a, of a farm. It is, like, it is like a farm that receives water, that God sends the water down from heaven and the farm has is, is been ready and has been prepared to receive the water that is sent down from God. We need to receive what God is sending down. We need to receive the truths that he has sent to us, believe the truths, embrace the truths that he has, said, has, has sent to us. The Bible says in Hosea 10 and verse 12, sow for yourself righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. In other words, break up the ground that has not been tilled, for it is time to seek the Lord, for he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And then James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The idea of it is this, prepare your soil for when God decides to move. Prepare your heart for when God decides to move because God's heart is towards the humble. God's heart is to those who are brokenhearted. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, God's heart is to those who have a broken and contrite spirit and tremble at his word. So what do we do when we receive the Lord? We're preparing that soil so that when God decides, and listen, God doesn't decide to act because we have prepared soil. God decides to act because he wants to. But you know what happens when it rains on concrete? When the concrete gets wet, car accidents happen, right? Do you know what happens when it rains on a field that has been tilled and prepared and planted seeds? Ready? and the rain falls on it, what do we get? We get fruit. So first thing is we prepare our hearts. Lord, prepare my heart. Make me humble. Make me ready. When you're ready to send your blessings, when you're ready to send your instruction, when you're ready to do a work in my life, Lord, make me ready to receive it. And then number two, believe Christ. Trust what his word says. Trust in his power. Trust in his works, trust in his wisdom, trust in his sovereignty, trust in his sufficiency. Listen, trust in Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever 
whoever believes, whoever trusts in him has everlasting life. Listen, there is no work that's gonna get you closer to God. Only Jesus can get you closer to God. We must believe him. And then thirdly and lastly, we must embrace Christ. We must ask as the gospel of Matthew says in Matthew 13, 44 and 46, a man who finds the pearl of great price goes and does what? He sells all that he has that he might have that pearl. In other words, when we find Christ, when we find out who he is, when we find out what he can do, that we say he is most significant and everything else becomes insignificant. Jesus says, if you love father and mother and brothers and sisters and your own life more than me or him, you are not worthy to be his disciple. So we've got to embrace Jesus as most significant, as most important, as most sovereign, and know this, that what he commands of you, he will accomplish through you. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And I close with this. Our text, verse 12, whoever has the son has life. That's it. Whoever has the son has life. The question is, do you have the son? Say, well, Pastor John, I don't have the son. I want to know how to get him. Believe, repent, ask. It is his work to bring salvation to our souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for caring about us enough to send your only begotten son into this world to bear our sins, to bear our reproach, to bear the the wickedness that was here on our behalf, that we might be saved. And I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today that if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ that can honestly say, I do not have the Son, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their life to bring that to a reality. For the rest of us that, Lord, I believe would say we have the Son, help us, Lord God, to live, to live as a testimony to the sufficiency and the significance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray your blessing upon the remainder of our service and our week. Be with us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.